Hey, Mike here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Dark Poutine early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. You're about to listen to a historical episode of Dark Poutine. After episode 149, you will find Scott is no longer with the show. In an effort to maintain continuity and offer listeners as many episodes as possible, we are leaving the episodes in which he co-hosted intact. Thank you. Welcome to Dark Poutine. I'm Mike Brown, creator and host. With me as usual is my good friend and co-host, Scott Hemingway. What's cracking, everybody? What's crack-a-lacking, Scott? Oh, not much, man. Chilling, you know. Chilling? Yeah. Did you have a good week? I did. It's been, a, it's been a lovely week so far. What did you do? Lots of video games. Oh, what are you playing? Far Cry 5. Completed. Oh, that, that looks good. You completed it? I completed the main mission, yeah. Yeah. Oh, you don't play multiplayer much, do you? No, I don't. I don't. I'm not much of an online gamer. Are you scared of failing others? Uh, I'm, a, I, I'm afraid of 12-year-olds kicking my ass. <laughs> that would probably happen. Yeah. It happens to me. Yeah. Go on to GTA and have like some little kids swear at me. I, I started uh, Destiny 2. Destiny? Yeah, I think it was. And, uh, <laughs> and like, I was just like... I just, I, I went online. Like I said, okay, well, let me join something. I, like within minutes, I got a message from somebody in my Xbox just saying like, you should probably try a different game. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> like I couldn't be angry. Like, I was like, fair enough. There fair enough. Go. Well, let's get to it. Dark Poutine is not for the faint of heart or squeamish as our content contains mature themes, harsh language, and graphic descriptions of violent crimes. Listener discretion is strongly advised. We are not experts on any of the topics we present, although Scott pretends he is. I do. Nor are we professional journalists. We're just two regular Canadians who are interested in the dark side of Canada and Canadian history. Uh, the dark side. <sighs> yeah, it's ex- not that there's no Canadian Darth Vader. Well, Stephen Harper, maybe. <laughs> hey, hey, oh. So put on your toque. Grab yourself a double-double and an Nanaimo bar. It's time to scarf down some dark poutine. Welcome to episode 22 of Dark Poutine on uh, April 15th, 2014 at 1.20 a.m. Calgary police responded to a 911 call, actually three 911 calls, about a stabbing in progress at 11 Butler Crescent Northwest, a home in the quiet northwest area of the city, only two kilometers from the University of Calgary, Hmm. and this is the Brentwood neighborhood. Okay. Do you remember this case, Scott? I do. Yes, I do. Yes, it was uh, it was quite disturbing, especially considering the uh, the family that the murderer came from. Uh, I think that's what made it more sensational, mm-hmm. and we will get into that. Upon arriving at the residence, police found a young man on the front lawn of the home bleeding profusely and barely clinging to life. His friends trying to stem the bleeding. On entering the home, cops were met with a horrific, bloody scene. Other distraught partygoers were attempting to assist the injured, and there were four of those in the house. Three of those were young men who lay dead. Also in the home was a young woman found with multiple stab wounds, but still alive. Her friends were at her side. The young woman and the young man were rushed to hospital, both in critical condition, but their wounds were too severe, and they later succumbed. Mm. Terrible. Yeah. Police mobile units, one a canine unit, found a man matching the subject's description, covered in blood about 750 meters away from the scene, around 30 minutes later, at the corner of Brentwood Boulevard and Charleswood Drive. Hmm. The man refused to surrender to police. He showed no fear of the barking police dog. After multiple warnings to stand down, the police dog was released and lunged at the young man's chest, and he hit the dog in the head and charged at the police. Oh, wow. The dog chased after the man, biting him, obviously, when 
yeah. you know, you go after a cop. If there's a, a canine unit there, you're going to get bit. There's going to be some biting. The man struggled with police, but was ultimately subdued. He continually screamed, I don't know what's happening. His skin was pale. Hmm. He was later taken to hospital and uh, to have his bleeding dog bites tended to. His name was Matthew DeGrude. He was 22 and invited a guest at the party. He was later charged with five counts of first-degree murder. Wow. Right. Yeah. Wow. So this was the worst mass murder in Calgary's history. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I I remember it was all over the news. It was quite quite the story. And the reason it was quite the story is because DeGrude is the son of a well-respected veteran of the Calgary Police Service. Matthew had no police record at the time, nor had he had any history of mental illness. Hmm. Multiple witnesses were interviewed by detectives. One after another, they stated that no one had any real altercation with DeGrood. He simply started viciously stabbing at their friends. Wow. Killed in the worst mass murder in Calgary's history were Caitlin Perez, 23, Lawrence Hong, 27, Joshua Hunter, 23, Zachariah Rathwell, 21, and Jordan Segura, 22, a resident at the home, 11 Butler Crescent. They were all at the home to celebrate Bermuda Shorts Day, which is the Calgary University's end of the winter semester. They celebrated by having Bermuda Short Day. Man, I haven't owned a pair of Bermuda shorts in forever. Yeah, well. I wouldn't uh, be invited. (laughs) It's been a tradition since 1960. Well, you would have to go to university, too. Well, there's that. There is semantics. And so this tradition continues today, and it's organized by the U of C Student Union with bands, booze, and revelry on the campus grounds. In fact, we're releasing this podcast on Friday, April 13th, 2018, the day of the 58th annual Bermuda Shorts Day celebration at U of C, almost four years to the day of the mass murder. Okay. And that's completely accidental. I just actually found this this topic this week when I was just messing about and I thought it was too compelling not to do. And as I was researching, it's like, oh, wow. <laughs> so this is the anniversary of it too. Uh, so I'm, I, I don't mean to open old wounds and I'm not trying to use our podcast to sensationalize something, but yeah, I just, we just had to talk about yeah. this because it was fascinating. It really is one of those uh, stories that is, is quite uh, captivating. Yeah, for In sure. not a good way. In course. not a good way, yeah. It, it's absolutely a, a coincidence, albeit a creepy one. So let's learn about the victims. And I really wanted to focus on the victims in this one mm-hmm. as as well, um, because they were young people just starting out in life. Yeah. You know? At university trying to trying yeah. to improve. Yeah. it's uh, Progress their lives. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Time for learning. And, and what was really interesting is everything that I read about these people, they were just kind people, mm. nice folks who were in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. Uh, with the wrong guy. I, exact, exact definition of tragedy. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it gets more tragic as it goes on. Zachariah Rathwell, called Zach by his friends and family, was 21 years old. He was a student of the Alberta College of Art and Design. He loved to travel. He'd been to Europe and Iceland. He was athletic. He was a passionate musician. Uh, his band, Zachariah and the Prophets, had just released their first EP titled Goodnight Icarus, just three days before his death. Oh, man. We'll link to their EP on Bandcamp in the show notes, where you can hear songs like Sick Days and High Hopes. According to all accounts, Zach was a good kid, and he'd even received his Chief Scout Award during his time with the 18th Scout Troop in Calgary. Hmm, I'm already sad. Yeah. Uh, at Zach's funeral, his younger brother said... My brother ripped on me a lot, but was so proud of me, and I'm going to make him proud every day for the rest of my life. Oh, that is... Yeah, this one's a heavy one. Uh, Joshua Hunter, 23, he was known for his kindness. He just finished his second year at uh, University of Calgary's Haskane School of Business. He was planning to major in accounting. Most of all, Josh loved music and took pride in his role as the drummer in Zachariah and the Prophets. The backbone of the band is uh, the drummer, right? Sure, that's what drummers think. <laughs> and then the bass players think that too. And then the guitarist and yeah. the vocalist. Yeah. 
in a global TV interview, speaking of Josh's altruistic approach to life, his sister Michaela said, if everyone lived like he did, the world would be a different place. <sighs> Jordan Segura, 22, loved to make people laugh and was well known for his sense of humor. He was pursuing a major in religious studies at the University of Calgary. Usually terrible people are uh, pursuing religious studies. <laughs> oh, no, I'm not commenting. Nah. Uh, among his friends, he was known for leading compliment circles, where everyone in the group was called on to say something nice about the others present. Uh, that is a beautiful idea. Yeah. I like that. Not only kind, he was honest and tried to live his life with integrity. He wanted to see the world. He didn't get a chance. Yeah. Lawrence Hong, uh, he was 27, the oldest of the victims. He was just over two weeks from his 28th birthday when he was slain. He was a mere one exam away from receiving his bachelor's degree in urban studies at the University of Calgary. Lawrence and his family had moved from the Philippines when he was only eight. He had a flamboyant fashion sense wearing lots of bow ties, wild patterned shirts, and brightly colored socks, all reflecting his warm and happy personality. He had a bright future ahead of him. That was snuffed out that night. And Katie Paris, the lone woman to die in DeGroote's rampage, she was 24 years old. She worked at the Anthropology Clothing Store in Chinook Center. Carol's mentioned Chinook Center before to me. Oh. I guess she grew up in Calgary. Yeah. Katie was pretty, fashion conscious, and creative. Painting was one of her passions, and she would wrap her creations in colorful tissue and ribbons, gifting them to her friends and family. Oh. She was always trying to find the right art piece for people. I, I love creative people like that. Yeah, me too. Katie was attending Mount Royal University, but not doing as well as she would like as an English major. She also loved to dance and wanted to teach others to dance as well. At some point, she wanted to open her own dance studio. Mm. Beautiful. From Calgary Herald, a friend of Katie said, live your life with love and joy and find what makes you happy because that's what Katie did. Always follow your own spirit. Yeah, these really sound like just spectacular people. Yeah, so how did this happen? Matthew DeGroote had not shown any real signs that he was capable of such horrible acts. At the time of the murders, Matthew was living with his mother, Susan DeGroote, and his father, Douglas DeGroote, and his 23-year-old sister in southwest Calgary. They were a stable family. His dad was a cop. When Matthew was in grade 11 in 2008, he started using drugs with some of the other kids. He was using cocaine and ecstasy. Hmm. Some of Matthew's friends were worried and told his parents. After a bit of an intervention, Matthew went to treatment through ADAC, which is the Alberta Drug and Alcohol Abuse Commission. Right. And so he did treatment and counseling there. Dr. David Hodgkins treated him for a year, and treatment seemed to have worked, and his parents continued to monitor Matthew's behavior and bank accounts for evidence of a relapse, but didn't see one. Hmm. Between 25 and 35 people attended the party that night, and no one saw Matthew consume any alcohol or drugs. Intoxication was not a factor in the night of the murders. Oh, wow, okay. I always assumed it was. <clears throat> No, and you're going to, it's going to be interesting to mm. learn what happened here. A year prior, Matthew had graduated with a Bachelor of Science degree with distinction from the University of Calgary. He'd majored in psychology and minored in law and society. Oh, okay. In late 2013, he was accepted to law school at the University of Calgary and the University of Alberta. He planned to attend the University of Calgary Law School in September 2014. He too had a bright future ahead of him. Hmm. So what's going on? It just sounds like a normal individual at this point. At this point. Yeah. However, about a month before the massacre, the tone of Matthew's social media posts began to darken. He posted weird messages on Facebook about killing vampires by stabbing them in the heart. Hmm. Werewolves, zombies, and the Illuminati were other topics of conversation. He made comments on things like conspiracy theories, religion, and reincarnation. He posted photos of death metal album covers and a photo of Darth Vader dressed as a priest, saying he himself was the good Darth Vader. Oh, okay. All and, right. You know, like... I've, I, know, I see weird... Just being weird. I see weird stuff all the time on sure. Facebook and whatnot, so I, I'm not going to always jump to the conclusion of, yeah, I'm going to start killing people. Right. You just think like, oh, okay, this person's exactly. having a bit of a... Or being creative. Yeah. Absolutely. Because I know I've been creative about things before on Facebook. And yep. Hopefully people don't think I'm my Jesus slipping off my cracker. Oh, we do. We have we have a uh, 
Uh, we have a group that we, we get together and talk about. Don't tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> On the day of the murders, Matthew's friend Brendan texted him to come to a party at his place at 11 Butler Crescent. Uh, Brendan McCabe lived in the house with four roommates. Sarah, uh, who has a Polish last name that I'm not going to try to pronounce. It, yeah. it ends with ski and it begins with a K. I'm sorry, Sarah, if you hear this, I, I just didn't want to butcher your name. Lots of consonants. Kapazowski? Maybe I did actually that, just that pr- pronounce right. it correctly. That actually sounds right. Terry Lewis, Michael Joe Regno, and Jordan Segura. All five were either students of U of C or just starting out in the working world. I keep thinking you're saying UFC. U of C, the yeah. University of Calgary. Yeah. Not UFC. I prefer the UFC. They are not. Well, actually, a lot of students of the UFC. Students of the UFC? Huh? WWE, I was thinking. Oh, dear. I got those two things mixed up. Don't do that. In my head. Why not? Brock Lesnar. Yeah, he's coming back. Great. Yeah. Matthew DeGrood had to work a shift at Safeway the night of the murders. He was employed there in the produce department, and he was scheduled to work between 2.30 and 11 p.m. But he would come to the party afterward. It would still be going for sure. Matthew's supervisor noticed he was acting strangely at work. Hmm. Between 5.51 p.m. and 6.38 p.m., Matthew sent a number of text messages to his mother, including the following... In Frankenstein, Victor Frankenstein never kills anyone, so he has nothing to fear. And he doesn't care about money. Look up my Chinese astrology, Book of Revelations. I'm descended from Pontius Pilate and Hitler. One in the same. Hot Fuzz, the movie, is the real story. And these are texts to his mom. That She must have been so... Well, I mean, not knowing their relationship, maybe he's always a bit bizarre in his messages, but like that, those to me sound like if I were to receive those from my family members, I'd be like, what is going on? Yeah. Uh, between 628 and 636, Matthew sent a number of text messages to his father and they said, I am definitely your son, Uranus and Leo and Metal Goat. It's all there. All literature tells the same story. Look up the Rothschilds, Illuminati. Two-pack reincarnation, seven-day theory. Is there such a thing? I've never heard of it, but I'm sure there is. Okay. Mary doesn't have to die this time. Operation Mind Crime to American Soldier. Wow. Just read it. Wow. Operation Mind Crime is a Queensryche album. Is it? Okay. Yeah. It's actually quite a good concept album. Mm-hmm. Okay. Check it out. Yeah, yeah very bizarre, wow. right? Like yeah. It, there's not a lot of... There's no no real thread there, other than they're, conspiracy. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're just very. Uh, each one seems to stand on its own and equally bizarre. Yeah, both of his parents obviously expressed their concern and replies to Matthew's texts. He wrote back that they should call John Ellard or Kibium Lee. Both were professors in the Department of Psychology at the University of Calgary. Okay. Weird. Yeah. At 7.51, Matthew purchased a three-bulb pack of garlic at Safeway, stuffing them into his pockets. Hmm. He posted a final message on Facebook. Dread in the fugitive mind. The world needs a hero. That's a Megadeth song and album title. Oh, okay. And uh, again, Megadeth, interestingly, uh, played a, a role in the Moncton Did, massacres. Didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Mon- yeah. Another, another song. Yeah. And so notable lyrics from Dread and the Fugitive Mind are, what if I do get caught? What if there is no judgment? If I'm right, I lose nothing. If you're right, I lose it all. I ought to get caught because I'm doing something wicked. I'm guilty, haunted by my fear, and the only consequences are Dread and the Fugitive Mind. Okay, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I, I tend to think that I, I'm not a believer in music, in movies and stuff influencing people. I think it's you find you find what the stuff that is going to match yeah. your thoughts. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I, I definitely don't think that Megadeth is controlling his mind. No. No. But it, it's, man, you really get some insight into people yep. uh, through things like that. At 8.29 p.m., Matthew bought a bottle of garlic vitamins at the cashier. 
he also took $500 cash from the ATM. <laughs> okay. Matthew left work at 8.31, leaving his car in the Safeway parking lot, and he walked to the Crowfoot C-Train station. So it's light rail in Calgary. Yeah, yeah. So he left work early. Left work okay. early. Yeah. He traveled by train to Brentwood Station, still wearing his work uniform, a green smock from the produce department. Okay. Matthew couldn't remember how to get to the house at 11 Butler Crescent. Brendan met Matthew at a gas station nearby. Uh, Brentwood Station. Matthew handed Brendan a clove of garlic and told him he was going to need it later. Wow. Brendan jokingly asked Matthew if he was uh, worried about vampires, and, and DeGrood responded seriously that he was, because they are real. Matthew also gave Brendan a long knife with a white handle and a brown leather sheath. Brendan assumed Matthew had been using it for his job at Safeway. Yeah. As Brendan and Matthew walked the six minutes to Brendan's place... Matthew spoke of crazy theories. He was talking about how President Barack Obama is the Antichrist and finding hidden messages and hidden meanings in songs and the Matrix films. Hmm. Okay. He said he believed the world would end at midnight when the blood moon rose. At 10 p.m., the assistant manager of Safeway noticed Matthew was missing. This was odd as he'd never left his shift early before, especially without telling anybody. Yep. At 10.12 p.m., the assistant manager texted Matthew and asked if he was still at Safeway. He texted back, Trust that I never hurt anyone. All will be known. And finally, he texted simply the number five. Oh. Uh, that number would have some significance by the end of the night, for sure. Yeah, five victims. Exactly. Interesting, right? So it leads me to believe, and I'm sure you'll get into it, but that he was intending for those five he knew i don't know that thinking kind of doesn't follow which is weird oh wow okay yeah mm. at approximately ten fifteen, daniel another longtime friend of matthew's sat down beside him on the couch and matthew started talking quickly quickly about a number of odd topics he said that barack obama was the bad darth vader and he was a good darth vader well that's not how the movie works but okay yeah he made uh, references to theories he had about musicians and album covers and he made several comments about vampires he said at midnight it would be the quote end of days because of the blood moon or the lunar eclipse. Mm. Daniel and Matthew went for a walk around the block. It sounds like Daniel was actually concerned. Yeah, yeah. And Matthew seemed very agitated and continued to rattle off more crazy theories. He ate a clove of garlic. Okay. And offered uh, garlic to Daniel, saying it was to ward off vampires and keep him protected at the end of the world. Oh, okay, yeah. That's not normal. I, you see, as we go, this guy is clearly having some sort of event. Yeah, I'm wondering what, um, I mean, it sounds like it was progressive over the last month from well, what right. what we're going over here, yep. but then it really slipped that day, and I'm curious as to what, there's typically a trigger. Well, there was actually like a, a blood moon or a lunar eclipse that night. Maybe he was obsessed with that. Yeah, yep, could be, yeah. Yeah, he was obsessed that the world was going to end at midnight, for sure. Daniel noted that Matthew had a box cutter in his uniform. He didn't do anything other than notice it at that point. Yeah. After they returned to the house, Matthew put a pair of blue medical latex gloves on his hands. Oh, God, okay. He said they were to hide his fingerprints in case he had to kill somebody at the end of the world. Okay. Daniel noted that if it really was the end of the world, there was no need to hide fingerprints. Well, fair enough. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, do these guys think that he's joking? What, what like, how I, are you taking that? As I a, think when you've known somebody for a healthy amount of time, like six months to a year or longer, especially, um, you can easily start to justify these things because they don't fit the normal behavior for that person. So you kind of can start to kind of, well, I guess he's like, he's had something or he's taken something or he his, he's starting to slip, but like you really don't think, okay, well this friend who I've been hanging out with for a long time, I think he's about to kill us. Yeah. You're going to try to justify it as he, he's starting to crack, but he wouldn't, nothing, he won't do anything. Matthew said that it made him more comfortable to leave the gloves on. 
And if people asked questions about the gloves, he would just put his hands in his pockets. Someone saw him washing his hands while still wearing the gloves at some point in the evening. Okay. Just before midnight, Matthew, Brendan, and a few others climbed onto the roof of the garage to talk. Matthew told Brendan that it was just going to be the end of the world at, at midnight. Okay. Mm-hmm. The moon was going to turn red and purification would occur. And Matthew was not a normally religious person and talking about jihad and purification yeah. was kind yeah. of not the norm for him. Yeah. But that's what he was chatting about. Daniel took Brendan aside and told him about Matthew's box cutter and they shared concerns about his weird behavior. So, okay, okay yeah. they're starting to catch on. Yep. Brendan asked Matthew for the box cutter so that he could put it in his bedroom. Matthew was adamant that he keep it, saying it was for his protection. Okay, fair enough. Yep. Uh, protection from what? Matthew confided in Brendan that his parents thought he was going nuts and wanted him to seek help and go on meds. Hmm. Okay, well, I think that's probably also a key to... Uh, What's been happening? Well, yeah, you know, and triggers and whatnot, because he, you know... Um, I'm not crazy, if you're parano- you are. Yeah, if you're paranoid... And you think somebody's trying to tell you you're not, that's only going to more agitate like you. Like the suicidal tendencies yes. song. Uh, institution. Not, yeah, institutionalized, yeah. The party was dying down a bit around 1230. Uh, some people had left and a few people were standing outside the fire pit drinking beer and chatting. And there were a few more inside. Matthew was outside. He grabbed an axe from nearby. Turning it sideways, he put his cell phone on the blade and tipped it into the fire. Um... Okay. A friend fished the phone out and handed it back to Matthew. He just put it down on the ground and smashed it to bits with the head of the axe. Oh my goodness! These poor like I, these poor folks, because you're you're really kind of imagine witnessing this being there and you're seeing somebody like you're not necessarily going to think he's going to kill you, but you're watching somebody breaking. Yeah, and that's got to be painful to. Yes, I've seen that, Scott. Oh, I wonder. Mm-hmm. It's a yeah. Huh. Even after Matthew's strange behavior, the party was said to have been laid back and relaxed. Uh, There were no arguments or confrontations at all. Okay. I guess, you know, somebody just acting weird to whatever. Yep, yep. Just accepting folks, I guess. Between 12.32 and 12.43 a.m., Matthew texted his mother a few more times, and he wrote, uh, Read Cirque du Freak. I'm not paranoid. Just read it and read about moons. Google it. Trust me. I love you. Trust me, it's reincarnation. This time I do the right thing for once instead of thinking only of myself. Tonight was Alan Wake and the Sermon on the Mount. I know Alan Wake was a video game. Yeah. Alan Wake is distorted through Illuminati. Okay. It's okay, Mom, I promise. I will never die, and no one will die. You can't come here, you will die. Which conflicts the previous text. That's ominous. Just read the book summaries. Trust me. You are possessed by the moon. I will come to you okay. Oh my God, as a parent, just imagine. Yeah, the DeGroods were concerned by his weird text messages. Again, yeah, yeah, and they thought he might be suicidal, yeah, talking about death and those kind of things and in text messages to your parents at 12 30 in the morning. Is he on drugs again? What's going on? Yeah, yeah, they had to be overly, overly concerned for sure. Absolutely, just before 1 a.m. on the morning of April 15th, 2014. Brendan McCabe and three others went to a nearby McDonald's to pick up food in one other partygoer's car, mm-hmm. leaving Matthew at the house with Lawrence Hong, Joshua Hunter, Katie Paris, Zachariah Rathwell, Jordan Segura, and Terry Lewis, who was upstairs mm-hmm. uh, trying to fall asleep. I guess she had to work or something the uh-huh. next day. So it was just the five, Matthew, and the girl upstairs. So here we go. Yeah. Lawrence Hong was lying down and sleeping on a couch in the living room. Josh Hunter, Katie Paris, and Jordan Segura were seated on a second couch facing the other chatting. Zach Rathwell and Matthew DeGrood were in the kitchen talking about Buddhism, and Matthew was not happy with the direction of the conversation. Oh, oh, okay. Matthew DeGrood's mood darkened. 
he picked up a 21 centimeter chef's knife from a knife block on a shelf in the kitchen. In a blitz attack, Matthew stabbed Zach Rathwell seven times in the kitchen where the pair had been chatting. Josh and Jordan were stabbed on the couch where they had been sitting. Jordan died of his single stab wound. Josh was stabbed six times and fled from the house, stumbling out onto the lawn as the four who'd been to McDonald's were returning. They heard Katie Paris screaming for her life as she tried to escape. She was stabbed four times in the dining room of the house. Lawrence Hong was asleep on the couch when he was stabbed four times. Matthew came out of the house and gave chase to Josh Hunter, knife in hand. He hadn't completed the job. Matthew chased Josh southbound down Butler Crescent. Oh my God. Brendan chased after Matthew and caught up with him about 150 meters from the house, giving Josh time to stumble back to 11 Butler and collapse on the lawn where he was later found by the police. Matthew was holding the knife above his head with the blade pointed downward. Brendan somehow convinced Matthew to give up the bloody knife. Prior to taking off running again toward Brentwood Boulevard, Matthew told Brendan that it was the Night of the Long Knives possibly referring to a purge that took place in Nazi Germany from June 30th to July 2nd, 1934. This is when Nazis carried out political executions intended to solidify Adolf Hitler's ultimate hold on power in Mm. Germany. Mm. Well, he was making comparisons to, he is, Mm. Hitler. Yeah. Spawn of or whatever it was. Brendan threw the knife aside and chased after Matthew for about 200 meters until he caught up to him again. Brendan grabbed Matthew and told him to calm down and come back to the house. I mean, what else are you going to do? Yeah, yeah. Matthew struggled to get away and in the process wiped his hands on Brendan's, telling him that they were now blood brothers. Matthew warned Brendan to stay out of his way or he would be next. Good God. Matthew put his hand into the pocket of his work smock and remembering the box cutter, Brendan let Matthew go. Oh, yeah, yeah. Matthew ran off eastbound down Brentwood Boulevard, and Brendan watched him go for a bit and then took off running back toward his house, dreading what he would find there. Oh, man. Terry Lewis, who had been in bed when the murders occurred, heard a man's voice yelling words to the effect of, It's okay. It's cool. Dude, calm down. I think that might have been uh, Zachariah talking to... Oh. Talking to Matthew before he was stabbed. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, I was trying to figure out in what context would somebody yeah. be saying that, but that makes sense. Yeah. She then phoned 911 when the ruckus began. Going downstairs, Terry found her friends bleeding. Oh, my God. Terry told 911 dispatcher that the perpetrator was Matthew DeGrood. Terry and the other three, who just returned from McDonald's, tended to their friend's wounds in this while. Brendan was off running yeah. after Matthew. Yeah. At 1.26 a.m., the first members of Calgary Police Service arrived on the scene, so they were there within six minutes. That's quite good, but, I, you know, with that kind of a call, I'm sure it was when you've got multiple yeah. victims and stuff, there's... Yeah, there's somebody there, here with a knife. You know. There's speed. Uh, at 1.34 a.m., emergency medical services confirmed that Zach Rathwell, Jordan Segura, and Lawrence Hong were dead. At 1.39, Katie Paris was transported from the scene to Foothills Hospital, where she was pronounced dead at 3 a.m. At 1.44 a.m., Joshua Hunter was transported from the scene to the Foothills Hospital, where he was pronounced dead at 2.17 a.m. The media got a hold of the story quickly. Someone had even taken a photo of Matthew being loaded into an ambulance after his arrest. Yeah, I think I remember that. Yeah, I have a copy of it. I'll post some photos to go along with this episode because there's a lot. It happened recently. Yeah, yeah. It had taken three large police officers and a 90-pound police dog to gain control of the 140-pound young man. One police officer said that he fought with almost superhuman strength. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, One of the officers said it seemed as though Matthew was levitating off the ground. Oh, wow. Matthew's behavior after his arrest was extremely bizarre. While patting Matthew down, police found he had a bloody latex glove in his pocket and a mesh bag with a clove of garlic was found in his sock. He told police that the garlic was to keep vampires away. Yep. After emergency medical services attended and before they placed him in the ambulance, Matthew said, I was just trying to kill them before they killed me. Yeah, uh, completely the mind of, uh, of somebody paranoid. 
At 2.15 a.m., while in the ambulance, Matthew was arrested for murder and attempted murder. He was read his charter rights and cautioned, and he indicated he wanted to call a lawyer. In response to the caution, he was not obliged to say anything. Matthew DeGrood responded, I am the son of God. Hmm. Yeah. It would be pretty evident that to the officers that this person is not well mentally. Yeah. There were many more strange statements in the ambulance, and here's a few of them. I just writing these out where it was just weird. I'm waging war on a spiritual plane. It's between the sun and moon, Anubis, if you know. And Anubis is the the god of, of death in Egypt. Who oh, would, okay. I had no would, idea. He was the jackal-headed god that would weigh your heart to see if you'd lived a pure life. Oh, wow. Against the feather of truth. Wow, okay. Yeah. Wow. So I wonder if I would pass. Well, <laughs> I wonder if any of us would. Right. And then he said, I was born in an incubator and I'm an alien. Wow. I don't believe Hitler killed anyone and was framed. What I did may seem atrocious, but I was killing Medusas and werewolves. Oh my God. It's a lunar eclipse. It was supposed to be the night of the long knives, a prophecy from the book of Revelations. Hmm. I mean, none of those are make any sense at all. No. After arriving at Rocky View Hospital, he continued talking. I'm sorry for framing Charles Manson. So he was 22 at the time. He wasn't even born yeah. when Charles Manson was doing his thing in 1969. Yeah. He also said, I didn't enjoy killing at all. I'm sorry, but the son of God was controlling me. The taller guy who looked like a werewolf was going to kill. So Zachariah had long hair. Okay. A knife block was there, and so I thought he was going to kill me first, so I did what I had to do. I wanted to be sober tonight, so it wasn't a Ted Bundy thing blaming it on alcohol. This guy at work stole a bunch of knives and may be traveling around the world killing children. I thought war was going to, going to wage, and I had the knife because I thought I was going to have to cut up the bodies. Oh my god. Imagine hearing this. Yeah, like these are probably not only police officers, but doctors and nurses and yeah, other yeah. patients maybe yeah. hearing, hearing this kind of thing too. Yeah. When asked specifically about the murders, Matthew said, so far as I know what happened was, will it still be murder if I was defending myself? Because he was really bothering me. So what happened was the big tall guy, we were talking about Buddhist philosophies that we were all going to die. So just have fun, have sex, etc. He obviously disagreed with me and was towering over me, so I asked him to give me some space. We were walking toward the knife block, so I decided to shoot first because I didn't know what he was going to do, so I stabbed him. Then the people on the couch saw, and they obviously started freaking out, so I killed them from left to right as quickly as I could. The girl ran into the corner, so I went and stabbed her. I said, I'm sorry I have to do this. Then the guy from the kitchen wasn't dead, so I had to hunt him down. But then I just left. Wow. You get a lot of insight into this guy's mind. It's uh, pretty uh, intense. Yeah, there was a lot of information to find. Uh, yeah. This, and it was, I mean, things are public record because it's all, it's court documents that I was using. And I, I don't typically have empathy at all for killers, but uh, yeah, this, this one's is a tough one. This is one where you can clearly see this isn't, he's insane. Yeah. Like he's, his mind is not functioning properly. He's thinking that these things he is saying are factual. Mm -hmm. Doctors determined that Matthew DeGrood was having a psychotic episode and decided to hold him for further observation. And the story blew up when Matthew DeGrood's identity was revealed, especially as his father was a tenured and respected city of Calgary police officer. Yeah, yeah, that will uh, garner much attention. Yeah. Calgary mourned and five families buried their dead children, literally cut down as their adult lives were beginning. The city of Calgary lowered its flags outside its offices to honor the victims and announced the flags would stay at half-mast until sunset on the day of the last funeral. Hmm. Matthew's attorney told the courts that Matthew was pleading not guilty as he was not criminally responsible at the time of the murders. Matthew was treated with the antipsychotic medication Risperidone, hmm. And he responded well, supporting the presence of a psychotic illness. Yeah. Matthew chose trial by judge, and just over two years after the murders, 
his trial began. He'd been either in remand or in the hospital the whole time. Matthew had been assessed by three expert medical witnesses, Dr. Alberto Choi, a forensic psychiatrist at Alberta Hospital, Edmonton, Dr. Lenka Zedkova, forensic psychiatrist at Alberta Hospital in Edmonton, and Dr. Andrew Hag, a forensic psychologist at the same hospital. Matthew had told Dr. Zedkova about his discussion with Zach Rathwell, who, according to Matthew, said to him at one point, you can die before I do. Matthew believed that was a reference to the end of the world and said that he felt threatened by the statement and soon heard a male voice. He believed that to be of the sun god saying, kill them all before they kill you. Hmm. Matthew knew then that he had to defend himself because he was about to be killed. Matthew told the doctor that while stabbing the five people, he was acting in self-defense. Although the experts didn't agree on all points, they agreed that Matthew was suffering a psychotic break from reality during the commission of his crimes. Yeah. On May 25th, 2016, Honorable Mr. Justice Eric F. Macklin handed down his decision. And here's what he said. I find on balance of probabilities that at the time he caused their deaths, Matthew DeGroote was suffering from a mental disorder that rendered him incapable of appreciating or knowing that his actions were wrong. Therefore, and in accordance with section 672.34 of the criminal code, I find that Matthew Douglas DeGroote committed the acts that resulted in the deaths of these five individuals, but he is not criminally responsible for those deaths on account of mental disorder. Yeah, yeah, I I don't disagree with that, and I know uh, it's a contentious topic, the one of criminally... Yeah, there's a few good documentaries on people being NCR, and one gentleman, but he was from Nova Scotia, and he actually lives in my hometown again, but they did a Fifth Estate episode about him. He's the guy who shot the radio personality in Ottawa. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. yeah. it looks into him being not criminally responsible as well, but... Here he is living back in Nova Scotia and he's not taking his meds anymore. Yeah, well, that's like, those are separate distinctions, though, of being not criminally responsible. And then what do we do with the person? They, they, they're too, uh, uh, they need to be treated somewhat separately because people get down on negative towards being not criminally being responsible because there's the perception that just anybody and everybody is claiming I was insane. You know, I'm not yeah. responsible. It's a scapegoat, or it's used by a lot of people. But it, in order to actually be found by it's very the rare. medical community yeah. that you are mentally ill, that these crimes were done without you recognizing that this was wrong, that it's yeah, it's rare. Yeah, and you don't you don't get that uh, uh, support from the medical community with ease. No. So being found not criminally responsible in Canada means no jail time. But it does mean you're going to the hospital. It means treatment in a psychiatric facility with regular reviews overseen by a board, including two judges, psychiatrists, and members of the community. But then the families of these five people have to go through these. Oh, and and that's the challenge is, remember that fella who beheaded that guy on a bus in Winnipeg? That's right, yeah. Like he was completely mentally ill. Minds of Madness, Tyler Allen's yeah. podcast, they did a really, really great episode on mm. that. So. You say like like with that one, I agree w- with that he was not criminally responsible, but does that mean I feel comfortable with the fact that he's able to go out into general population again? No, no yeah. good God, no. And, and you know, and I imagine being one of the family members, but so it's kind of like, it's a different thing kind of. I agree with the decisions. I don't necessarily agree with how they're treated. Yeah. We'll get into that as yeah. well, because the families do have something yeah, to say. Yeah, I, I would imagine. But first, we're going to hear from Matthew DeGroote. Okay. He actually wrote and signed a statement that I got a copy of. Oh, I'm interested. And here's how it went. I realized that through my illness, I have done something horrible and ultimately wrong. I take responsibility for those deaths and I acknowledge the immense suffering I've caused. The victims never deserve to die. In my mental illness, I believed things that were untrue which left me to hurt innocent and good people. You, their families, never deserved the loss and heartache. I know my actions have caused irreparable harm and damage to the families involved, including my own. I am truly and deeply sorry for this. I never intended for anything like this to happen. I feel the sorrow I have caused 
past, and I will carry it for the rest of my life. Hmm. My heart goes out to the families of the victims. I cannot apologize enough for your losses, and I deeply regret that your loved ones aren't with you anymore. I am sorry from the bottom of my heart. In light of this, I will take responsibility for my illness so nothing like this ever occurs again. I will control it by faithfully taking my medication and managing potential stressors. I will follow doctor's orders for the rest of my life. I want to make amends for this. I'm not asking for your forgiveness, but I hope that you are able to understand I am truly sorry for what I've done and I will work to regain the trust of society. Yeah, I don't know if that can... Yeah, like if you're if you're the, his the parents of, of Katie Paris, for example. I, you know, and just like society in general, as much, again, I'm extremely empathetic towards his mental illness. Like I really, I really, really am. But can I honestly say that if he were ever to be released and is a fit mind and healthy, that I would feel comfortable sitting next to him? Yeah. No, I don't think I would ever be able to feel comfortable around that person. So. Yeah, it's, 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 it's tough. Yeah. It's a, it's a stigma attached to the acts that he has well, and it's carried not, out. And it's not just like, okay, he's mentally ill, he's been calling in sick to work, darn him. It's like his mental illness led him to take lives. And yeah. so there's an extra yeah. sense of, of like, okay, you know, uh, it's not like if he slips, he's going to do and say stupid things. If he slips, he may kill. And so that's where there would always be that looming sense of uncertainty and unease around him. Yeah. In an unusual move in such trial, the family members and friends of the victims had a chance to speak too. They were not pleased with the court's findings, but all made statements in tribute to their lost loved ones. Jordan Segura's mother said the whole trial was a waste of time. But she also spoke of the love of a son for a mother and vice versa. And she mentioned that Jordan had a tattoo that said, Mom. Hmm. Lawrence Hong's father, Lorenzo, said, Now we be left with a dream, a dream of what Lawrence would have become. Yeah. Katie Paris' sister, Nikki, said, Katie cared so deeply about her people, and sometimes it was to a fault. Josh Hunter's father said, we cherish every second we had with Josh. The only thing we can do to honor him is to be strong and do good things. Zachariah Rathwell's dad spoke. I was there when he came into this world, and I was there to identify his body as his soul left this world. He said, hopefully one day we will meet again. Sleep tight, little bear. Oh man, that makes me want to cry. That broke my heart when I read that. Yeah. Outside of the courthouse, the family spoke. Katie Paris' father, Greg, expressed his disappointment in the trial's outcome. It's not over. This isn't the end. We, these families all have a life sentence now. Our life sentence is to, uh, every year, go to the mental health review board and try to make sure that this dangerous offender never gets out and has a chance to hurt anyone else. So it's not over. This is just the start. And what about a high-risk NCR designation? What do you make of that? Well, just as just as Miles said, I think I can talk on behalf of the other families and just reiterate, we're 100% behind the Crown going after a high-risk designation. I'm not an expert. I've read up on it. And... Uh, if anyone would fall under that definition, someone who kills five people and falls into psychosis within a matter of weeks, uh, that's very likely someone that should fall under that designation. The issue is, as, as some Canadians probably don't know, that law was brought in after he killed our kids. So now they have to go after him retroactively and that's gonna be a court of law opportunities so I, I don't know how that's going to end up but we support the crown in every way and we will be on their side the whole way so there you go you know there's a there's a father that's lost his daughter yeah and he's trying to be civil number one yeah you know he's he's being civil but he's concerned for society that's about i think as healthy and rational a reaction as, as one could ever expect from. Uh, uh, He's uh, had two years too, to oh, to get to that point. Yeah, but still, like, how how would it be? It, it would be so difficult to not just be full of hate and rage and yeah. want 
nothing but suffering for that person. Yeah. I mean, he did talk about uh, a high-risk offender designation for Matthew DeGroote, which didn't happen. It didn't. Unfortunately. Because, like he mentioned, the law was brought in after, so. Yeah. And and what the high-risk designation does is it prevents these offenders who are found NCR or non not criminally responsible. Yeah. It it gives a broader amount of time between uh, reviews. They aren't as regular. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, I'm just I'm blown away by that father right now. Matthew's father was horrified by what his son had done. Yeah. Uh and here's a statement that uh Matthew's father made outside the courthouse as well. Okay, I'm curious about this as well. We accept the decision of the court. We will continue to walk by our son's side as together we travel the long and painful road ahead of us. Today is not the end of this tragic nightmare. We live it every day. We will continue to live it every day for the rest of our lives. Everyone connected with this tragedy can never forget the overwhelming heartache and suffering from the families of the victims. As we move forward, we will continue to keep the victims and their families in our prayers and hope that time will eventually begin to heal their pain and suffering. Thank you. Oh, you can just, like, he's shaking in the uh, video. Action. Actually, his father suffers from a neurological disorder. Oh, really? Okay. I mean, what he had to say there, wow. He's, they're victims as well. Absolutely. Their lives have been altered, changed. 100%. Um, They suffer from, they suffer a loss of a child. Yeah. Uh, Granted, it's a child you can still see and talk to and whatnot, but nonetheless, like, it's just tragedy all around. Yeah. And that's why I was so drawn to this one. Yeah. Because to me, there's no clear evil here. And I feel the same way, you know? I feel the same way. It's, um, it's, and that's really difficult to try to navigate and deal with. Right. Because as, as humans, what we want to do is to be able to point Mm -hmm. and say that, that's at fault, put it away, problem solved. You know, like we want to be able to... Uh, to handle things in that capacity. So when you, uh, it's difficult when all around you can't find, like you, there's no clear evil. No. Other than mental illness. Right. But that's not uh, uh, an entity. Right. Only 10 short months later, Matthew's first review took place in which he had, he and his doctor sought extended privileges. The doctor said he was a model patient the board agreed, and depending on how well he progressed, the murderer of five would be allowed to walk around the rural, unfenced grounds of the hospital on his own. Yeah, see, like, again, as much as I empathize, I'm not comfortable. The families, again, were disappointed, yeah, of course. Yeah, as I would be. Mm-hmm. Uh, this won't be the last time Matthew DeGrood is due for another hearing this year. It hasn't happened yet, but it is April, Mm. and it it happened last April. Speculation is that he'll request even more freedom at that point. Uh, Yeah, I would imagine. Uh, Most of the information for the timeline of events over the April the 14th and 15th of 2014 came from court records and the accepted statement of facts in those. Mm. As well, we have obtained copies of psychiatric assessments for Matthew DeGrood that were made matters of public record throughout his trial. Mm. According to Wikipedia, uh, the University of Calgary followed up in the following ways after this tragedy. On April 15, 2015, a year later, the university held the U Calgary Strong Festival, meant to both celebrate the end of the school year to commemorate the one-year anniversary of the stabbing the festival was part of the broader U Calgary Strong Initiative, which aims to reduce loneliness, isolation, and foster resiliency in the face of the stressors that are part of the post-secondary experience. Mm. Yes, university is a tough slog. Oh, I hear. It is. Uh, I could find no mention of the crimes on this year's U Calgary Strong Festival website. Mm. I'm not saying that they're sweeping it under the carpet. Maybe they're moving 
past it. I would imagine it's it's of the latter. Yeah. Uh, Also from Wikipedia, uh, victim Lawrence Hong was granted a posthumous degree in 2015, and memorial scholarships have been established for him and the two other victims, Joshua Hunter and Jordan Segura, in their respective disciplines. So that's pretty cool. The school is commemorating them in that way. Yeah, absolutely. Apparently, Matthew DeGrood... He referenced it a few times throughout what he was saying, ranting to the doctors that he was sober. Yep. And he was not on drugs. Yep. Now I know, I have seen it many times, I'm a person who is in recovery myself. Yep. I have seen many people who don't involve themselves in some form of aftercare after they stop drinking and using drugs. Yep. And I have also seen those people, some of those people, I can't say all, but I have also seen some of those people slip into behaviors that could be considered psychotic. Yeah. Mm. When somebody drinks, when somebody uses drugs habitually or abusively, a lot of times they are self-medicating. Yep. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. So you remove that medication that you are using and what are you left with, but the thing that made you drink or use the drugs in the first place. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if that was part of what helped, helped Matthew DeGrood get to the place he got to. It's tough to say because it would. I'm spec. Yeah. I I mean, it's an absolutely fascinating, uh, 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 comment or, or thought, uh, it would, I think to me, it would really depend on factors like how, when would he, when did he last drink? Like if he hadn't had a drink in... It was six years. So he hadn't had a drink in six years? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I wouldn't really think that to play a huge role in it then. I think, like I, I would think if he had been drinking constantly I, in that day, he said no. I see it differently because I've... Yeah. I've seen that yeah. sort of timeline on things before. So, hmm. yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating. People who are away from it, but don't treat the core of it, yep. will get sicker in their sobriety. Well, and... And it, it is a mental, mental, spiritual, emotional, the whole thing. Yeah, and, yeah, you know, and, and just in regards to, as we were talking about earlier, um, being deemed not uh, criminally responsible... You know, then once you get, my concern about it is, is treatment after, because I fully, I fully believe that one can, with the proper medications and proper therapies, uh, get better. Yes. But my concern is, and as somebody who, you know, has to take medication daily to maintain uh, my mental health, um, it's really, really, really goddamn easy to slip off of that. I'm fortunate that I haven't. I've created such a habit and such a ritual, not ritual, but, uh, you know, I'm very, very constant in my routine. Mm. So I haven't, I haven't slipped, but it can be very easy to, I had a family suicide when I was a child and a lot of it comes down to, uh, you forget to take your medication one day. Right. And come the next day, you, you realize, and you're like, oh, but you know what? I'm feeling okay. Well, maybe maybe I don't need these. Well, let me try another day, see how I feel. And you don't take it for another day. I'm sure there's some withdrawal in there, but mentally, you're like, I oh, know, I actually feel... Yeah, feel. absolutely. And then you're like, well, let me, I'm going to try it a week. And then you try it a week, and, and you feel great. And normal. And then you do it two weeks. Now it's a month, and you think you're... You're like, you know what? I think I'm better. I don't think I need these things anymore. And then mental illness isn't a toggle switch that, you know, then the very next day, you're like, oh, I'm crazy again. It's slow. It builds slowly, and so you can't necessarily identify it. And so you, it's, it's very easy to slip back into that old place you were in because it's very easy to, to, to get off of meds. And, uh, that's where my concern is always not, is this person legitimately better? I'm sure that they can become legitimately better. That's not my concern. Uh, My concern is, okay, well, how do we assure this person? Because you, you can't legally force somebody to take a drug every day. You cannot sit there and, and 
pop it in their throat every day. And so that's where my concern lies mm. with, with individuals like this is when they're back out in public, what assurities do we have that they're going to be sticking to their treatment? We don't. Yeah. And that's, and that's my concern. Do I empathize with them? And do I think that they should be imprisoned for the rest of their life? No, but I, I, I think there's got to be some kind of middle ground, but you know, that's just, that's just my thoughts. I, I'm, you know, there's a, I, I guarantee you that if this was one of my children, I would feel very differently. Yeah. Because, you know, there's the expression, you don't make, you don't let victims make laws because when you are in a heightened state of emotion, absolutely, you're not rational. Right. You just want revenge. Yeah. And, and I would. And so it's, uh, you know, and I, I, these kind of topics, I still feel kind of close to them. So what do you think? This is, this was a good one, eh? Yeah. Yeah. This was good, good in the sense that it's a really fascinating, fascinating and yep. heavy topic and yep. a really, really great topic for our show, but not good in, in where it leaves me mentally Absolutely. at the end of it, which is, which is a sign like, you know, anything you do, whether it be photography, music, a podcast, you want to elicit emotion. Yeah. That's that, that, so that's a success if you can uh, pull some emotion in. Yeah. And so as a co-host, it, it's, it's hit me. Yeah, definitely. It's it, hit it, me. me. So too. it's a good topic. There you go. That's it for this episode. Before we go, we want to do our usual Patreon shout-outs. We've had a few interesting developments here. Oh. Um, Strictly Homicide Podcast, thank you very much. Uh, Sophia from Davis, California, thank you. Thank uh, you. My friend, Kenny Louie, uh, here, from here in Vancouver, thank you very much. Kenny is a, a, a photographer who uh, takes some really great pictures of Lego Star Wars figures. Oh, sweet. Yeah, he does ah. He does some really cool photos. I'd love that. to check that out. Yeah, so thanks, Kenny, for your pledge. We have a third prime minister. Oh, oh boy. And it is uh, another Kyla. Oh, Kyla. It, it is Kyla who we both used to work with. Yeah, she is, like I know her personally. Yes. And probably one of the most... Uh, kind, uh, wonderful people I, I've ever met. She is really, really awesome. Great person. So I messaged her to say, thank you. Thank you very much. And told her that she rocked and that now we have two prime ministers named Kyla. And I'm sure the other prime minister <laughs> named Kyla and her will have a fake war about this. A Kyla off. She actually, what she messaged me back was really kind of funny. Well, and she's hilarious. Yes. And she said, I'm sorry it took me so long. I recently had to cancel my MeUndies subscription <laughs> temporarily. <laughs> Holy customs charges, Batman. <laughs> and I thought, why the hell am I not contributing to Dark Poutine? So I rectified it. Oh. Well, thank you, Kyla, so much. She also says that we are going places in no time at all, and this will just be the tiniest drop of gravy in your gravy bucket. Hold on to your cheese curds. <laughs> Oh, Kyla, you're way too kind. That is awesome. You're way too kind. In, in fact, Kyla's kind of the one who got me into podcasts when, through chatting with her. Oh, she, really? She, yeah, she was the one who kind of directed me towards, because uh, we were talking about true crime and stuff, and she's the one who really directed me towards uh, Sword and Scale, which is... You'd think you would, you would, you would try harder. No, no, no. Why? <laughs> you, you know me. Why would, I, why would I try harder at anything? So interestingly... There is another person who pledged to us, and her name is Carrie B. Oh, okay. And um, yeah. and her, her email e. address, I am not going to say what her email address is, but uh, interestingly, she has the exact same name as my wife. Is it not her? It is not. What the hell is going on? I don't know. <laughs> Unless my wife has that email address. It could be. I don't think it is. I would know. Yeah. Wow. Unusual, right? Wow. I think you really need to interrogate your wife. <laughs> because maybe you don't know everything. Well, it doesn't matter if I don't. It matters. She's a good egg. Oh, great egg. Thanks so much, everybody, for your pledges. If you want to donate to us as well, you can do so at patreon.com slash darkpoutine. Or you can just send us some donut money via PayPal at our email, 
darkpoutinepodcast at gmail.com. I finally sent out our swag today after some some tries and fails <laughs> that I don't want to get into. I just, I was so frustrated. I looked at the uh, the guy at the post office last week when he told me how much stuff was going to cost, and I told him he was effing ridiculous. <laughs> Oh, Mike. It wasn't good. Oh, so, Mike. And when we finally did figure out how we were going to send things out, Carol today, uh, as I was putting the mail into the mail slot, she said, don't be mean to the man. <laughs> oh, Mike. Or no, it was don't yell at the man. So, oh, Mike. Oh, well, anyway. Uh, check out our website, <laughs> www.darkpoutine.com for show notes and other cool stuff. Please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, just search for Dark Poutine. Tell your friends about us. Don't forget about uh, the Yumber Yard. We've got people joining every day. It's a great place, and it's it's way more active than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> it's so crazy. Yeah. You can subscribe to us uh, on your favorite podcast directory like iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, and at our host, Podbean. And that four-star Oilers review is still the only one that's there. And then somebody else who said, you're great, and gave us a one-star <laughs> So don't forget to be a good egg and not a bad apple. We will have an after show for our Patreon patrons of five bucks and above this week. And I won't fuck it up like I did <laughs> Like I did this time. Yeah. Uh, live and learn. It's all. Live, live and learn. We're still babies in this game. Babies in this game who have done 22 episodes of a podcast <laughs> that are over 97,000 downloads. Oh my God. Today. We're so close. So close to breaking 100K. Oh my God. I, I want to say if you're listening to this, listen. Yeah. But you are already listening. So that's like. Yeah. You know, you, if you're listening to this, listen to it 14 times. Yeah. If every one of you listen to it 14 no, times. don't cheat. Cheat. No. But then maybe they just, maybe only if you like it. Okay. Well, thanks for letting us fill your ears with some dark poutine. Ciao for now. Bye-bye. Don't forget to be a good egg and not a bad apple. Don't do it. Bye. <laughs>